You've probably heard of Living in Love and Faith. It's a catchy title, isn't it? And it's the name that's been given to a variety of initiatives currently going on in the Church of England, all to do with defining how we relate to basic things like human identity, sexuality and marriage. My name's Stuart Henderson. I'm a poet, broadcaster and songwriter. And if I was to say to you, which I'm just about to, we live in interesting times, you'd probably all shout back in chorus, you're telling me mush. Now those interesting times are getting louder, more discordant. The perpetual klaxon of news with the inevitable rush to social media to vigorously comment seems to be the new norm. Society is getting more polarised. Intransigent opinions and snap judgments are handed down with little sense of measured contemplation. Science, medicine and technology are rapidly changing the way we interpret the world. Add to that a fluid confusion over issues such as truth, ethics and sexual identity and we seem to borrow the words of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament to be observing reality through a glass darkly. And that's how we come to Living in Love and Faith. Here to assist in our opening discussion are four key members of the coordinating group as we ask, what's the conversation? Around the table, we have the Right Reverend Dr. Joe Bailey Wells, the Bishop of Dorking. Joe is an Old Testament scholar. Her Bible teaching ministry has included posts in theological colleges in Britain and North America. Hello, Joe. Hello. The Reverend Dr. Jason Roach is a trained medical doctor with a special interest in the ethics of medical and biological research. He is senior minister at the Bridge Community Church in Battersea in southwest London and an advisor on policy and strategy to the Bishop of London. Good to have you along, Jason. Good to be here. The Right Reverend Dr. Jill Duff is the Bishop of Lancaster. She used to work in the oil industry and was ordained to the priesthood in 2004, going on to serve as a pioneer minister in Liverpool. She was also a founding director of St. Melitus Theological College based at the city's Anglican Cathedral and no doubt will reminisce about my home city later, will get quite tearful and possibly burst into song. <laughs> Trust me, it will bless you. And completing our quartet is the Reverend Alex Clare Young, who says proudly, I'm transgender, I'm Christian, I'm human. Alex is an ordained minister in the United Reformed Church, which has its roots in the English Presbyterian tradition. A community leader of the Safe Space Peter's House in Hull, Alex brings a personal perspective to the table, as well as a wealth of doctoral research on transgender theology. Greetings, Alex. Hi. Hi. Uh, let's start with the easy ones. Why do you think we're having this conversation right here, right now? Jason Roach. I guess in one sense, this is a conversation that has always been happening through the history of the church. There's never been a time in the history of uh, Christianity where there haven't been areas where the church has been out of step with the views of the world. And sexuality is one particular area in which that has often been true. But it is also true that there's been a particular catalyst for this recently. The church has been debating these issues and uh, about 
was it two and a half years ago, something like that, the Archbishop of Canterbury commissioned a piece of work where a number of scholars and theologians and uh, pastors and lay people would get together to think through how we can move forward as a church uh, on these particular issues. Joe Wells. And the reality is we've been debating those issues for a couple of decades and I think it feels to many that we we really haven't made progress in terms of a way forward together. And so we're digging deeper. We're trying harder. We're all putting ourselves out further in the hope that we can find a way forward together. Mm. Alex, are you finding a way forward? Definitely. And I think it's a change to the mode of discussion. We're moving from that kind of very polarised debate, from this idea that society says one thing and church says another thing, to actually being able to move forward together and have conversations and talk across differences and for our differences and our diversity to, to be a good thing instead of something that divides us. We're around the table with people with vastly divergent views and we've all become good friends. And I think that's actually part of the point of this process is that that can be replicated across the whole church. Jill. And we want to move forward on a front foot because throughout Christian story, the heart of the message is that you are worth it, you are important, your identity is important, you're not just worthless. And issues like sex and relationships can often be places where we feel incredibly vulnerable and not worth it. So we're looking at what are the positive things we can say as Christians in the church into our into our nation and, and wider at this time. Jason and Joe, you both voiced a sense of the church being out of step, out of time to a certain degree. It could be said that the world outside the church has negotiated these considerable changes in society as best it can and should be left to do so. Why does the church need to get involved? Do you really think that, Stuart? I, I don't see any settled, steady state out there in terms of issues of identity, sex and marriage. I think there's so much disturbance and there's a longing from those way beyond the church for something constructive from the depths of our tradition that might be positive. So it's more to do with the church in a strange sort of way, sitting back, assessing, analysing, and then giving counsel. That's one angle on it. I think it's also about those of us within the church living something hopeful that enables others to glimpse the truth of Jesus Christ, the good news that we seek to embody. And it's very hard to embody it when we're at sea on some fundamental issues that others out there are talking about and, and looking for a lead, I think. I think, Stuart, you're, you're right. There's, in one sense, you could say, isn't culture on its own journey, uh, isn't it? plotting its own course. But I think I agree with Joe that there's real confusion out there. And certainly I, I know from my own personal ministry that people exploring relationships are really struggling, looking for answers. And I think we can really offer a contribution by asking very basic questions like, who are we? What are we here for? What is intimacy all about? And if we begin to get to the bottom of those very basic questions, it will help us live lives that flourish. 
Joe, this idea of flourishing lives, is that advice that the church can add to the wider world? Well, Jesus came so that people could have life to the full. And I think there's an incredible banquet out there that he offers us um, as ways in which we can flourish as human beings, as we can flourish in relationship, that we're not people who live on our own. And I think there's really positive things to be saying. And I'm noticing generations kind of below me, I'm not saying I'm a, a youngster anymore by any means, more than middle-aged, is that, interestingly, some of the millennial generations, there's been a real increase in sort of podcasts that are looking for guidance, that are looking for positive ways forward. So, Alex, this idea of the vulnerable Christ, does that resonate with you? Definitely. I think it's about vulnerability and about hope, and it's about our relationships as society. It's not just narrowly about our romantic or sexual relationships or or the specific identities that we're talking about. It's actually about how we live together with difference because whilst, yes, society has moved a long way on LGBT identities, there's still so much tension. There's still so much homophobia and transphobia. It's still dangerous for me to be out as trans. So actually the church needs to model for society how we can live with these disagreements and not hurt and ultimately kill people because of them. Let's go back to early 2017, uh, the debate and vote in General Synod on marriage and same-sex relationships, at which it's fair to say there was a significant degree of polarisation. There were some who were vehemently opposing the proposal that the church should ever bless same-sex marriages. In the aftermath of that, Archbishop Justin Welby observed that the church needed a radical new Christian inclusion in the church. Is that how you all feel? Alex Clare Young. I'm a member of a different denomination, so it's an interesting question for me because that's what my denomination has sought to do, is to have this radical inclusion where different views are heard and respected and where we're not saying yes or no, we're saying something just completely different. Jason Roach. I guess for me, my starting point is thinking we want to have a church in which everyone can feel welcome, that they can feel that they can come around the table and be heard respected because we're all made in the image of God and precious to him and yet at the same time stay with each other for long enough to really hear the bigger story of the Bible and to understand where God is saying yes and where he might be saying there is a need for change and of course what culture wants is quick answers to hot button issues and unfortunately, that is not how God works. Yes. <laughs> so that, that would be my start it, to an answer. He's not a Twitter theologian. Absolutely, well. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Given that, uh, that point that, uh, that Jason's made, is that really possible, Jill Duff? So as you know, I was uh, in ministry in the favourite city in the world. <laughs> and Goes um, without saying. Goes without saying, I won't name that city. And... Um, in our parish, which is probably bottom 5% in the country, we were the only married couple in, in the church. And actually, when people found out what we thought about sex, people were like, wow, you know, that's... So you mean you're really worth it? Because actually, um, often it's seen as something to get over, to get on with. And, um, and actually, I think the Christian message has got lots of positive things to say. You're all outreach ministers, outreach priests. 
operating with an enormous amount of compassion. The question must be asked, how is the Living in Love and Faith initiative then playing out amongst the congregations across the UK? Or how do you think it will play out? Joe Wells. I would say in the past we've had shared conversations where we've listened to different voices on a panel or even around a table. I would say what's different about what we're doing now is producing some learning resources. You know, we've dug quite deeply in this work in, in, into history, into sociology, in science, as well as into Bible and theology in order to get into a learning mode in other words, saying, I don't have all the answers. Actually, even though I, I thought I had the answer, I, I realise I'm quite ignorant. And I don't just need to listen to voices of those with different opinions. I need to learn from our tradition. I need to learn from science. I need to learn from the whole breadth of academic sources and uh, as well as people on the street in order together to listen and learn. Alex, as somebody out with the mm. Anglican Communion, you mentioned before, uh, obviously coming from the United Reformed tradition, you seem to give the indication, the intimation, that your church is a little more advanced on, on this. Is that right? We're in a different place in terms of the theology, in terms of the deep learning that you talk about. I think we've got a really long way to go, actually. But in terms of the ecclesiology, in terms of what it means to be church and what it means to have these disagreements and the, these discussions, I like where we've got to. You know, I work with four churches. One of them does same-sex marriages. At least one other of the churches is in absolute disagreement with that. And yet they're a team of churches working together. And what's more important to them is their mission in a city. The idea that we need to all think the same to be in unity isn't biblical to me. Jason Roach. One of my hopes would be that the resources enable people to look at a particular position with humility and with fresh eyes, ready to learn. And uh, I guess some of the media that we're, that we're producing, we're, we're hoping that that might be the case, that it forces people to recognise we're looking at real people, we're listening to real people. And actually, so... Uh, before just coming with a particular position, there would be a humility to say, let me let me just ask, uh, what's going on here? And can I look with fresh eyes? That will mean digging into scripture. It will mean uh, digging into uh, theology and to tradition and so on. But coming at it, recognizing that we're dealing with people and with a humility. And, and so I guess that's one of my my hopes for how these resources get used. And the twin sister of humility is respect, yes. i.e. acknowledging the difference of opinion and living with whatever consequence it may bring. I would hesitate there. I would say praying together, worshipping together, even as we argue, disagree, we need to learn to do that well around the table. And it doesn't mean condemning each other. You know, it means disagreeing and yet sharing bread. Just to draw out what Joe's saying as well, I think it's something that you touched on was beautifully, is that in Scripture we hear about the, the unity and the bond of peace that the Holy Spirit brings, that there's something almost beyond ourselves, as you talked about coming around a table together. We're praying and hoping that actually... The Spirit of God, he can, he can bring unity in ways we haven't possibly imagined that's beyond 
um, a cerebral argument. The Living in Love and Faith initiative is made up of various expert subcommittees who have concentrated on the history, the science, the biology and the theology surrounding the issues. For you, as in effect a bishop of Christ, an overseer of your flock, what is different about this project? I suppose there's something special about the Church of England that we believe in the faith that's uniquely revealed in the scriptures. So for for part of the conversation, and an important part for many of us, is actually how do we as Christians sit under, you know, the authority of the word of God. For us, that's an important part, um, which is shared by many of my brothers and sisters. We'd interpret things differently. But um, for me, there's something very life-giving in that. And um, we believe that God kind of uniquely reveals um, his sense in in Jesus, who is uniquely revealed in the scriptures. So that's what makes the conversation a bit more challenging for some of us, because for us, how we kind of submit to what we think the authority of scripture says makes a difference to how how we live. And um, as I've come into it, I think the more extended time to engage with people who you think are quite different. We've tried to, when I say we, I mean the, the Church of England, <laughs> has tried to draw quite a diverse coordinating group, has tried to divert, to draw together those groups that reflect those different parts of the church. Um, I do think as a bishop there is a call to have a, a teaching, authority, teaching authority and people do look to the bishops for a particular role in that. Um, but I think there's been a sense of wanting to uh, listen and be patient and be patient in our pain and discomfort as we try to discern. So in Acts 15, there's a beautiful story when the early church had one of the first disagreements about whether Gentiles could be included. It's very, very painful. They come out at the end and say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. And um, I don't think we're at that point yet, but we're trying to discern it seems good to the Holy Spirit and us. One of my heroines is Hilda, um, Hilda of Whitby, and she obviously presided over a synod where Roman practices from the south <laughs> effectively in some ways trumped um, Celtic practices from the north, and that had quite a, an impact on the church going forward. And so three times in history, there's often been, you know, key moments, I suppose, when things, these decisions come into a bit more focus. And I'm hoping that the LLF resources are a kind of a, a runway in order to help Um, discern in the widest possible way. How do you then square the need to move forward to give clarity with, as it were, keeping people on side? The question presumes that keeping people on side means giving them what they want. I would just say that the picture of Scripture is that actually uh, very often there's a better story than the one that we might might be living And so, you know, Jesus can say to a woman at the well, you know, I can give you water that is deeper, richer, better uh, than the water that you're looking for. And so uh, that doesn't presuppose any particular answer. It just says that that the high wire act, we believe, is something beautiful, that we're offering something better than they might have originally been looking for, which uh, which is ultimately Christ and relationship with him and therefore right relationship with others.
Continuing my role uh, of me muttering at the back, uh, to the outsider, it could be said that the Church of England has in the past agonised over many contemporary moral and political issues. I, I remember Faith in the City back in the 80s. Without providing much clarity and any real way forward, what's the difference this time? I think there's something incredible about the Church of England is that we are... Um, patient in that sense. We're not, in a, we're not in a rush to tweet what we think because um, on a good day, a, a real charism, a gift for the Church of England is to be, I hope, you know, the church for people around here. We have parishes across all sorts of um, places across England. And when on a good day, um, it's been a church where people can find their place of all sorts of different voices, all sorts of different backgrounds. When we get nervous... <laughs> we become quite defined, become but that's that's human nature, isn't it? So my hope is that we'll reflect something positive rather than um something negative. So it, so another example is in our in our English culture, isn't it interesting? English has been a language that has adapted to include many, many different um vocabularies. It's it's translated it's it's been very nimble, hasn't it? And I think what you're kind of talking about is something that is seen as a kind of Willingness, but we need to actually take some of the negativity out of that term because this idea that to move forward everyone needs to think the same thing which I think is is what's kind of being implied that there needs to be a, a decision a yes no answer that's quite rightly not the church's to give the church holds diverse opinions so we need to hold on to that sense of willingness that sense of not giving one clear defined answer but to provide definition within that, there's a lot of really deep thought, but it's not yes or no, because the world and the church isn't like that. And I would say a distinctive of the Anglican tradition and the Church of England in particular is that it's a broad church. That is its beauty. It's broad sociologically. It's broad theologically. And arguably, it hasn't been comfortable, but we have held together differences on these opinions thus far. I talked about the way in which sex is something that gets at the heart of our vulnerability, positively or negatively, but positively we're undone in a way that is transformative. And that would be my hope for the discussions we're having, that we're undone in terms of what needs to be undone, of God's working to transform our relating together more deeply which I think will require vulnerable engagement, more vulnerable than, we, than we've yet known, in order to bond us more deeply together. And I think that is the difference in this process, that everyone is allowing that undoneness. So I think LGBTQ people have felt previously that we have had to do that work, that we have had to be very vulnerable, and that others perhaps haven't. And actually in this process, everyone has been very vulnerable, so I'm no longer sat there thinking, well, I'm on display and everyone else is all covered up. Actually, everyone's been vulnerable. And I that's want to important. even say it's almost a qualification. Don't uh, yeah. enter this. Don't don't engage in this debate unless you are willing to be undone, unless you are willing to make yourself vulnerable. Mm. Picking up on that undoneness, uh, brand new word. Um, <laughs> we like it. <laughs> Alex, as I mentioned earlier, you bring some very specific insights to the living in love and faith as a transgender person who is on the record as saying you're obsessed with the Bible and absolutely in love with Jesus. 
You have been watching my YouTube channel. I have indeed. Yes. I've been taking notes. <laughs> when, when you were first approached to be involved, did you wonder, though, will there be an element of having to justify myself as a like-minded Christian, as an equal human being even? Absolutely. And when I was first asked to be involved, I almost said no for that reason. Um, the things you hear from outside of a process are very different than being within it. Um, and I said yes, because I was very aware that there may not be a trans person involved if I didn't. So it was very difficult at first. I really enjoy coming to Living in Love and Faith things now because I have learnt that people are listening, people are being vulnerable, and that actually we can talk about very different opinions happily. And I think it was my very first day in the process. I was sat having lunch with someone whose name I knew because of things that they had written. I knew that they were in a very different position to me with very different opinions. And we got on like a house on fire. The same day we celebrated communion together that night and that was the first time I'd celebrated communion in any form of Episcopal church since I'd been thrown out of one. Having said that, yeah, sometimes I do feel like I have to justify myself. Sometimes I do feel like there's an assumption that I'm less biblically engaged, less in love with Jesus, I put air quotes around that, because I read the Bible in a different way, because I have a different understanding of Jesus than some people around the table. But I'm not the only one. Having stressed the positives uh, with a few codicils, could the process that you've been through be described perhaps as like a search party looking for the lost self? I mean, as you know, at the moment, I'm doing doctoral research on trans theology. And it is that sense in which trans people deeply search for themselves. And in that, I think, deeply search for God, actually, in a really complex way that I think can say something to Christian theology and can say something to actually how we have these discussions about things like change, because we've done the work. To be trans, you have to do really serious discernment work, whether you're Christian or not. Jason Roach. Our first and foremost way of identifying people would be as made in the image of God and loved by God. And therefore, uh, whoever we're speaking to, there is a sense of welcome, respect, love. That'd be my first thing. My second thing would be to remember the words of a, an ancient saint, Augustine, who said, our hearts are restless until we've found him, the living God. And so recognising that our yearnings and hopes are ultimately for something higher than another person horizontally. It's for for, for Christ vertically. So that would be my starting point. Can I jump on the back of that and say, anyone who's baptised bears the marks of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so when I meet a stranger in the church, Alex was a stranger when, when he first joined our group, my stance is to look for, for Christ in him. Mm -hmm. And what can I learn? How can I learn more about Christ? What does that do to inspire my discipleship, my journey in following Christ? Being a disciple is about learning. What can I learn about Jesus from Alex? And I think that is kind of the hope for the resources, is that everyone, people on the margins and people not on the margins, will see something of themselves in the resources and will also see something of people who are very different. I think wherever we're coming from, we certainly want to say sorry for where, for ways in which we have unnecessarily hurt people, caused them to feel alienated or ashamed. And I think there is a place for us uh, as a group together, saying sorry for ways in which we've 
acted, spoken, behaved in ways that are not like Jesus. Mm. And we want to we want to say that. You know, we think we've got great things to offer from from Scripture and the Christian tradition, and um, we want to hold the line positively for our nation and encourage for, for our church. Um, you know, I've been out of step with most of what my friends think about sex from the very beginning. So for me, it's not an unusual position to think that it's something quite special um, for a particular relationship. We were reflecting as a house of bishops, actually, what has made us feel most uncomfortable about the process. And I think for me, um, although I've been, you know, known it um, to a certain extent, actually experiencing uh, the pain of, um, particularly from our LGBTI community, really, um, and often how that's shut away. And people talked about almost like closing the door on it. And my experience of Jesus is often when we're in pain, it's very hard to pray. But as we allow our pain into the light, that's kind of where we meet Jesus, where we meet the angels. Um, our instinct is to hoover it up and get on with our jobs and pretend it's not happening. And that's a very human response. For all of you, how has being involved in the Living in Love and Faith project so far changed you personally as Bible-believing Christians? And how do you expect it to change you further, Jason? I think the process itself has helped me, forced me, to slow down and spend more time with people who I have di different views from. And that has meant that I have been forced to consider people as <laughs> real people uh, and, and wrestle with their whole life story. And that's been really helpful because I think it means that in my pastoral ministry, as I'm interacting with all kinds of different people, um, I do what I should do as a Christian, which is slow down, listen, hear where people are coming from and um, speak God's word into their life as a result. I've been conscious of the international dimension. So we've been joined for some of our, our coordinating groups with a bishop from Kenya when we read scripture with our brothers and sisters from across the world. And um, I found that quite moving to encounter that that wider sense of how the, the Bible is read across time and across internationally. So ultimately, your model is is Jesus, who did the unspeakable, he did the unthinkable. So a particular story in John 8, where the woman was caught in adultery, um, in some texts, people wonder whether it should even be in the text because it's so radical. And when he picks her off the ground, there's no one there to condemn you. He, he says, go and sin no more. Jesus was radical, both in his welcome and also... You know, in the Sermon Mount, he said, not just be holy because God's holy. He said, be perfect. He had incredible views on on, on, on marriage, on, on relationships. And he meets people as real people and loves them as real people. And I think that's an important element. You know, I was nervous when our brother from Kenya came to visit, when I read who was coming and read some of the comments that he had made previously. I was really nervous. I thought, how am I going to get through this 24 hours? And we got on like a house on fire. And both of us commented afterwards that it was really great to meet each other and that, that we had a really good time. Jason Roach, you're a medical doctor with a special interest in the ethics of medical and biological research. It's one thing to expect the church to weather Twitter storms, the hurricane forces of changing attitudes, but how does the church then react to the rational beings of science and medicine 
throwing their informed spanners in the works. It's interesting that the the idea that there is a conflict between science and religion is a relatively new concept. For most of the history of the world, scientists have done their work because they want to see the glory of God in nature and uh, in the world that they live in. So my starting point is to sort of slightly reject the question because there, there is no innate conflict between those two. Uh, we want to hear all that science is saying in, all that we, in order that we can more fully hear uh, uh, what God is doing in the world. There are two books with which God uh, has revealed himself, uh, the book of Scripture and the book of the world, Psalm 19. And so let's, let's learn as much as we can from both. Of course, the book of the world is silent without the clarifying voice of Scripture, so we need both. But let's hear as much as we can from both of them. I think science changes the questions we ask theologically. And, and that then causes us to go back to Scripture. I mean, you ask how our view of Scripture has changed. I just keep going back to scripture daily again and again and again and and I see new things in it each time. So that's incrementally because of the context we come with different eyes. My PhD supervisor in Oxford used to be an atheist and we were studying the chemistry of biology and as a result he, he said I'm not sure I can be confident that God doesn't exist because this chemistry is so Amazing. Mind-blowing. So complex. And at the, at the same time, the, the, the scriptures, our Christian worldview gives us a context for uh, coming to those scientific texts. We're, we're more than just uh, a ball of atoms that, that evolves randomly. There's a creator. Um, there is a purpose for which we were made and a, a reason for which we act. Uh, and more than that, there's there's a hope. What we see with our materialist eyes is not all that there will be or all that there is. And so we live lives and think about our theology with a hope that there is a new creation to come. And perhaps when we look at scientific or ethical issues, does it matter if there's life on Mars? Does it matter if we manage to clone a sheep? What matters is how we treat each other and the world as we do those things. With the resources of Living in Love and Faith, how do you envisage getting people involved in the pews? I'm hoping that they'll read the book and in particular read the book in groups together and study it and tease it out and ask questions and talk about it. And I'm hoping uh, over coffee in church, after church, in the bar, in the pub, that, that it'll, it'll be part of the conversation that becomes a part of the life of our church. The answer to your question has a lot to do with why we're sitting here, because society is more diverse and we want people to engage in whatever way they wish to and can because we want people to be talking about this. And for some people, that will mean reading the book in great depth. For other people, that'll mean listening to podcasts. For other people, it'll mean having a really quick scan through the website and, and never looking at it again. But they'll have engaged with the questions that we're all asking. We humbly want to invite people into a conversation that has been um, painful but engaging. We're seeking to discern God's ways and we want to do that together. 
And whether that happens in local churches, whether it happens in small groups within those, or whether it's actually maybe more at a deanery level and people are invited to forum where they hear people discussing these things and are able then to interact with one another uh, as they listen would be a wonderful thing. And at a family level. I want to talk to my kids about this. Absolutely. And they've got so much to say. Absolutely. Thank you. I would want to see hope and unity and people working past their obvious labels because that's what we do as a culture, isn't it? We label people, put them in boxes, so they don't need to listen to them. Whereas actually Jesus doesn't label anyone. Joe Wells, Jason Roach, Alice Claire Young and Jill Dolph, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. There will be more podcasts to follow, plenty more slivers and shades of opinion. Please don't forget to rate and review this podcast. Please tell your friends and spread the word about the ongoing discussions. And of course, there's plenty more material round the back. Head to churchofengland.org forward slash LLF, ta-da, and thank you for listening.